This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This won't be a, a Mother's Day, a mother's focused message. So I'm sure I'll be yelled at about that, but I will say I've been yelled at for doing Mother's Day messages, so what's a man to do? My heart is 100% celebrating with every mother in here, I can tell you that. So Jen, thanks so much for that testimony. It actually, I think, uh, creates a vibe that goes along with our... uh, series on worldliness. I'm going to be doing a few messages on worldliness. So we seek to apply Philippians in our congregation. Philippians, I'm sorry, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be reading today from God's Word. This is God's inspired, inerrant Word. It has authority in our lives. God wants to speak to us this morning in His grace, from Ephesians 5. We'll look at verses 3 through 20. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is life. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then, verse 15, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but 
understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless your word this morning. Speak to us. Change us as individuals and as a church for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Discern. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's the main point today. Under, understand what the will of the Lord is. What is pleasing to the Lord? That's what we're trying to ask in this series. Verse 3, what is proper among saints? The implication is we're different. What, what's out of place? Verse 4. What pleases the Lord? This is an introduction to this little series on worldliness. Worldliness is the collective sinfulness that, that flows out of individual human hearts, kind of goes together and pollutes God's world, God's good creation. It, it promotes, worldliness promotes, it wants the lusts of our flesh and the pride of life and the lust of our eyes. It wants that to prosper. The Bible says the world is passing away, but no matter. Right now, it hates us, just like it hated our Lord. And that's why James says to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. The Apostle John wrote, do not love the world. What we're trying to do is make sure we understand exactly what that means. Do not love the world. And John wasn't anticipating, was he, the internet, streaming services, movies on demand, TV, computer games, modern technology, blasts us with the values of the world, the attitudes of the world, the false definitions of reality of the world. The air we breathe includes lies, doesn't it? About the nature of goodness, what is truth, what's beauty. It, it bombards us with counterfeit versions of what a family should be, of what romance is, of what success is all about, how to spend our money, and on and on and on. The world has never before had more resources to make evil seem appealing. John's warning, do not love the world, has never been more relevant. Even more so than when he his original readers read his words. So Paul's exhortation here in Ephesians 5, live carefully, is very relevant to us. The world will have devastating effects on our lives, 
on our mission if we don't heed this warning. The world deadens our hearts to the ugliness of sin. What God calls the lust of the eyes, the sinful cravings of the heart, are portrayed by the world as natural and harmless. It's not true. The world deadens our conscience so it doesn't work properly. It makes things that God's Word calls the enemies of our souls seem unimportant or even vital. The truth is we, we can't sow to the flesh daily and, and reap a harvest of holiness. The world wants your attention. It wants your allegiance. It wants your love. It's never going to stop seeking to persuade you. And we have got to battle. We've got to enter battle. We've got to engage in this war for our hearts and our souls, for our church. So John's words are true today. Who or what will we love? Will we love the world? Will we love Christ? Remember Philippians 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what we're seeking to do. We want Philippians to make a difference. Kevin DeYoung has written, passionate exhortation to pursue gospel-driven holiness is barely heard in most of our churches. We don't really care much about it. Well, I want you to hear it in our church. And he finishes, he says, but shouldn't those most passionate about the good news about Christ, about the gospel and God's glory, also be those most dedicated to the pursuit of godliness. That's what this series is all about. J.C. Ryle writing in the 19th century, we must be holy because this is the one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. We've got to be holy. We've got to be different from the world. We've got to be set apart. We should be because of the gospel. If we're passionate about the gospel, we really must be. Our manner of life should be different. But then the question becomes, what does it look like practically to be different from the world, to be set apart for God and His purposes, to be holy, to give Him glory as His people? How do we actually live out holiness in our day? That isn't an easy question to answer. Paul is right. We, we need to live carefully. So today is kind of an intro to the series. That means you'll probably be confused the whole morning. Kidding. Uh, but I want to begin with a couple illustrations and then kind of unpack the meaning of those illustrations and then look at three guidelines from Ephesians 5. Ed Welch has said, the church's interactions with the world have always been complex. How exactly can we be in the world but not of the world? It's, it's hard to be both distinctively different and in the midst. It's like walking through a minefield. We need a map. You, you, can, 
you can step on different minds. I'm going to highlight a couple. So we need a map. And that's the goal of this series. So we don't just blindly stumble through the world making all kinds of mistakes. Like Bibleopoly. How many of you have ever heard of Bibleopoly? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Bibleopoly. It's an illustration of a pitfall we can fall into when we seek to not be like the world. The idea behind the game is that greed and materialism are bad and not something you want your kids to learn. Obviously, it's a spinoff of Monopoly. In Bibleopoly, though, instead of buying hotels, you build churches. (laughs) Instead of chance cards and community chess cards, in Bibleopoly, there are faith contingency cards and abyss cards. You, you lose a turn if you land on go meditate instead of go to jail. Go to meditate. Go directly to meditate. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Now, be careful. You may be sitting by a passionate fan of Bibleopoly, so... I guess we're already in trouble with them, aren't we? Is this what it looks like to live a holy life? If we play Bibleopoly instead of Monopoly, will it please the Lord? Is this what people who care about His will do? One one concern is it's, it's, it's hard to imagine a game that would be more foreign to your unbelieving friends than... Bibleopoly, or even more unimaginable, your kids' unbelieving friends. Hey, dude, I'm going to come over to the house and play a little Bibleopoly this afternoon. I don't think that's going to go well. But the bigger concern that I think we need to see is that a game like this can unintentionally, believe it or not, encourage worldliness. The fundamental purpose of Bibleopoly And monopoly is really the same. Gain possessions, achieve, win, beat your opponent. And that is the foundation for the good life. At the end of the day, there really isn't much difference between the two games. You you acquire properties, you charge other players when they land on your property, you're trying to crush your opponent. Your your desire is to acquire the most possessions. That's success in life. But it's sold as a Christian game. But really, it doesn't protect our sinful hearts as advertised. Now, the other side of the coin, the other mind to avoid, can be seen in the decline of mainline Protestant churches. It's a cautionary tale for us. This doesn't make me happy. It it warns churches. We want to be aware of this. They they have emphasized being relevant rather than being holy. The inventors of Bibleopoly wanted to be separate from the world. The mainline churches wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be relevant. They wanted to stay important to the world. Sherry and I both were 
born, baptized as infants, and confirmed in mainline churches back in the 60s. They, these were old Protestant denominations. And they, they used to be the lar- all the largest churches, all the most important churches in the city. Protestant churches were in these denominations. It's really hard today to, to imagine how powerful they were, how influential they were in our society. In, in 1965, when we were young, <laughs> these denominations had 31 million members. And that was when the population of the United States was only 200 million people. Society was united by these churches. They, they influenced the culture. They set the norms of society in ways that's just beyond belief today. Now it's 60 years later, and all that has changed. The church I grew up in closed. The denomination Sherry grew up in, the PCUSA, just released a demographic report announcing it had lost another 51,584 members. In 1965, they had 4.25 million members. They now have 1.19 million. And that really doesn't capture the, the picture. I have a picture here. This is a man leading the final service at a PCUSA church in Florida this spring. It was closed because of declining membership. It's, it's sad. We want to learn what, what happened. In the last year of the report, the denomination dissolved 104 churches. And 40% of the remaining churches have less than 50 members. And almost a third of the denominations is more than 70 years old. And that's, that's at a time when only 16% of Americans are 65 or older today. The PCUSA is dying. If you want to see the path, just go to Scotland. This, this is the path. It's a denomination that valued being relevant over being holy. They are theological liberals. They believe religion should be modern and progressive. If you go, if you go on their website, you'll see this. They, they think Christianity needs to be redefined to be able to serve the culture. One man said, it's clearly not a Christianity that compels people to give up their Sunday mornings. The point is, living in the world and yet not becoming of the world is not easy. Understanding and discerning the will of God, we... We want to have, this is our goal, we want to have a strong biblical attitude of engagement with our culture. Not Bibleopoly and not theological liberalism. The first, the first problem we face, the first mind to avoid, is this vilifying or criticizing the culture in an unnecessary way, even an unjust way, motivated by fear. We can, we can be afraid of the world. Ed Welch, 
A biblical counselor says those ruled by fear of the world, that association with the world will corrupt the church, build, an, build a fortress, or at least a gated community. This group barricades the church doors to keep the world, to keep the culture, to keep the products out. They want to protect those inside the church. They have harvest parties or hallelujah nights at Halloween. Because Halloween is a dangerous cultural influence. So well-meaning and godly churches can create an alternative so their kids can come to church and, and dress up and get candy and avoid all the de demons involved in Halloween or trick-or-treating. And, and the goal is, is commendable. It, it is good. We want to guard the purity of the church. We want to serve the kids. I think we'd all support this. this is, these are good goals, but there's problems here. First of all, it's not possible to do it. You can't isolate those inside the church from the surrounding culture. Our society is so intertwined, you're always going to encounter the world. No matter where you are, you will always be affected to some degree by the world. Your kids are going to find out. Just going after the necessities of life, you're going to encounter the world, aren't you? In the grocery store, at the gas station, shopping for clothes. We all have to interact with others in our culture, and, and they're going to attempt to imprint their values, their concerns, and their norms on us. Just won't work. William Smith, another biblical counselor, writes, Lest you think you could avoid such influences by radically living off the grid. This was written years ago. Remember that you and those with you being redeemed sinners will generate your own culture with its attendant sinful distortions. To think that it's possible to avoid contamination by eliminating our interaction with those around us is a myth. It's a myth. And then the second minefield is, is to follow the path of the mainline denominations, to accommodate the world, to accommodate the culture. We, we absorb the culture. We become worldly. This is, this is the people who want to be culturally relevant. They're ruled by this desire to be heard. They're, they're willing to adopt these customs and ideas just so they can be accepted. And so the difference, if, if you're trying to live a life worthy of the gospel, it can be an embarrassment to people like this. It just isn't cool. So barricading the church door to keep the world out always leaves cracks. The world can seep in, but the, the opposite tendency, accommodating the world, trying to appeal to the world, just throws the door open. And then you assimilate the, the ideas into the church. They're not afraid of the world. They embrace the world. They, they embrace their ideas, their goals, their methods. And it's a good goal, isn't it, to engage the world. We want to do that. We want to have a, a, a philosophy 
of ministry to the world that engages the world. We want to win the world. Paul valued this, but there's something wrong if in the end the church and the world look essentially the same. If you, if you come to our church and you have youth relay age, that's our youth group, you, you, and if you attend there you, and if you've been to other church youth groups, you may see a difference in the, in the youth groups. In our youth group. And it's intentional that it's like that. And we, we get a lot of feedback about, about that. We've been criticized because of our philosophy of youth ministry. But this is why. This is why we do this. There, the, the central event in the monthly meeting is biblical teaching. There's an expectation that teens can understand Scripture and theology. And you will feel that. There's an annual retreat that is centered around hours of biblical teaching. There are meetings set up for fellowship among the youth throughout the months. Parents are encouraged to attend. The kids involved, I think they have a blast But that, that's never the purpose of the youth group. We don't use fun as the bait and then try to slip in something about God when they show up. We don't use fun as a tactic. The problem, if we try to accommodate the world, we turned our youth group into a youth group that tries to be like the world so that worldly kids will like it, you end up seeing little difference. And then we have nothing to offer them. The church will lose its ability to be salt and light in the world. So we want to avoid these two pitfalls. Here's what John Piper said. He's writing about Christians who engage the world biblically. He said they see themselves as fellow strugglers in the world. They are not culture fleers or culture deniers. They are pleading for discernment. And they are persuaded that movie ratings do not equal biblical discernment. They are eager for the church to enjoy the world, to engage the world, and evangelize the world. Let me remind you, that's John Piper. But they they know that they will never be useful to the world if we are being deeply shaped by the world. And we will be shaped by the world without intentional efforts not to be. So being in the world but not of the world requires that we be led through this minefield. The good news is Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer. I am no longer in the world. He's praying to God the Father. But they are in the world. And I, I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I have given them your word, 
And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The Lord is eager to protect us. The Lord is eager to help us, to lead us through the culture we are in. This is so clear in his high priestly prayer. So we can count on the Lord to lead us as we seek to please him. As we seek to understand his will, he is eager to help us. God's people have always lived in the, the midst of cultures that bring ungodly pressures on them. The Lord has never just set his people aside out of the world, he sends us into the world. And God's word is then there for us to protect us, to give us wisdom and insight. And that's what Ephesians 5 is about. God, through Scripture, will in, help us to engage the culture in a way that protects us and brings Him glory and wins the lost. Here are three guidelines from Ephesians 5. Number one, don't partner with the world. First few verses, verses seven, three through seven. Don't partner with the world. According to Paul, we in the church, as you remember from Philippians, are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We are partners, remember. We have fellowship together with each other. In Ephesians 5, 7 though, Paul uses this same word, shares together or partners, to say, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with the world, with the sons of disobedience. Do not love the world. He's saying the same thing as John. He's emphasizing that we have to be discriminating in our partnerships and our relationships. Do not be partners with them in the same way you are partners with one another. We, we should no longer live for our desires like these sons of disobedience, Paul says in verse 6. They live for these sinful desires. We're not supposed to do that. All through Scripture, God's holy people are always called to separate themselves from the world around them in this sense. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do not be partners with them. So the makers of Bibleopoly are on to something, aren't they? We, we really should seek to separate from the world. That's, that's tempting us, tempting our sinful cravings. And worldliness is most effective when, it, when it's gradual. Ed Welch says, it saves the prostitutes for later. Now it urges us to try obscenity. Foolish talk, verse 4, coarse joking. Saves the prostitutes for later. Kind of numbs the conscience. And that's where it leads. 
But the solution is not to have a gated community, not huddle up together. Paul doesn't exhort us to move to a monastery, to move to a fortress to protect us from the world. The Bible never does that. It's a hard issue. And so what he does in chapter 4, which is preparing for these verses, is to teach us to guard our hearts. It's about our hearts. we got to watch. we got to be careful. We've got to know how to shepherd hearts. Paul, Paul knows you, you can try to get away from the world. You can try to get off the grid, but it'll never be sufficient. It will never work. It will never protect you. You're a fallen sinner. You've got to know how to fight. So your focus needs to be, if you look in chapter 5, verse 1 here, Paul says, be imitators of God. It's his beloved children. Keep your focus on Christ. And in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Protection comes from keeping Christ in view and then fighting the war. Paul Tripp wrote wrote this in his book for Parents of Teens. I've said to my children many times, there's a war out there. It's being fought on the turf of your heart. It's fought for the control of your soul. Each situation you face today is a skirmish in the war. Be careful. Be aware of the battle. Don't forget that there's a scheming enemy out there who is out to deceive, divide, and destroy. You can see how you could be afraid as a parent. Go out there knowing that to win you must fight. You must not relax. You must not forget. you got to live carefully. Don't be foolish. But you're engaging the world inevitably. It doesn't mean avoiding unbelievers to avoid becoming partners. The war's within. We, we become a partner when we adopt their worldview, their desires, their lifestyle. We can and should develop friendships with unbelievers. We have a former member, Craig Cooper, you may have heard about. I, apparently he's world famous now. Uh, he was a, a young man that came to Christ through VFC and just a wonderful member of our church. But always, I think everyone would have said, man, he just had a heart for the lost. He was always reaching out to the lost. He got to Nashville on our, with our church plant group we sent there and befriended a country singer. And um, they, the guy wrote a song about it. And now it's become, I think it's going to be a book. And then he was on the news. And, and um, we met the country singer at a... Uh, a theology class last year. He's a great guy. It's a very cool story. And um, we know it, it just so fits Craig because this is the kind of guy Craig always was, was reaching out, making friends with the lost. I think he gave the guy a car or something. It's just a cool story. But I think that's right and good. It's what Paul expects. There's a 
engagement of the world, a degree of friendship is assumed in our call to be light to those outside the church. It's not the same as partnership. So in verse 6, Paul says, let no one deceive you because people can deceive you. We've got to be careful. People can have a negative influence on us. They can have a positive influence. He makes that clear in other places, but they can have a negative influence. We need believers. We need their partnership. We need their positive influence. We want to befriend unbelievers, but we've got to be aware they can deceive us. The second guideline, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. You look in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You, you are light. You used to be darkness. So the second guideline he has for believers here is in, invade the world with light. Expose the darkness. Those those who want to be culturally relevant are also on to something good, something biblical. But, but it doesn't mean we succeed by getting in step or being like the world. It's exactly the opposite. Th- those who fear the world, they become invisible and irrelevant because they detach themselves. They try to barricade the church. They lose the opportunity to be salt and light in the world. They get this peculiar culture that keeps them from winning the lost. It's it's incomprehensible to the culture around them, to the society, to people. And we we don't want to become so foreign culturally that there's no hope for us to communicate with the society around us. But those who compromise with the world, they become invisible and irrelevant by blending in. There's no difference. You can't even tell. So there's, a, there's, there's an explosion in both these places. There's a pitfall, a trap in both sides. Listen, Christ is different from the world. He is holy, but He gets with sinners, doesn't He? He sacrificed for every nation of the world. If we're different from the world, then we have something to offer them. Can you imagine for Jewish believers all their lives, in the first century, they, they had been taught to have boundaries from everyone around them, and now here comes Paul. They've come to Christ, and now he's saying, no, no, we want to invade the world with light. At one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. He's talking about the gospel. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. It was in the Old Testament. It was picked up in the gospels. It's about Christ. They walk in darkness. Christ has come. Now they're going to see a great light. We're the lamp of the Lord. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. To be content in Christ. To be filled with the Spirit. 
and to have a heart for the lost. You know, as Jen shared her testimony this morning, I can't help but think, what a great opportunity women have today in our culture. Our culture is looking for your voice. And, And when a woman like Jen and the other women she mentions comes to the microphone, and speaks like she did. It, it has a powerful effect. Nobody wants to hear from a man these days. <laughs> Especially that message. Yeah. What does John think? You know, if I can use this word again, there's going to be a different vibe if I'm sharing that and Jen's sharing that. And I just commend the women. You have, you're, you're amazing women. You, you are just the ticket. And I am so thankful for you. And I give glory to God. That testimony and all those women mentioned, and this room is, Jen's right, just filled with women like that. Thank you. And preach it. Third, final guideline, be very careful how you live. How do we live in this world? It's hard. It's complex. Carefully. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. We live in an age where our, our hearts are, you know, they're, they're easily distracted. And we live in an age where we are just bombarded every day with dozens of distractions. So this counsel, this exhortation is important to us. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness is the kind of extreme behavior Paul is after here. That that is not living carefully. Don't do that. If you get drunk with wine, you are a fool. You are being foolish. You are not being wise. The days are evil. Redeem the time. You're living foolishly. But positively, he says, be filled with the Spirit. The amazing thing about that is he wouldn't exhort us to do that if it wasn't possible. Being filled with the Spirit is a possibility today. None of this has ceased You can be filled with the Spirit. And and this context helps us understand what Paul expected through the empowering presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. It, It means being controlled by the Spirit. It means being under the Spirit's influence. It means being able to live in the world but not be of the world. It means being able to influence those around us to be the light of the Lord in a dark world, to preach the gospel. If you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to make a difference. It's going to be noticeable. We were at we had date night at the foundry Friday night. I hope you see evidence of grace. I hope you see a work of the Spirit. It was everywhere present. God is at work. These these folks are filled with the Spirit. Yes, 
Steve Harrison has been married longer than I've been alive. He was trying to mock me. I'm like, Steve, that is great news for me. But seeing Steve and Peggy filled with joy, married 64 years, it's the power of the Spirit and it's light in the darkness. We want to please the Lord. We want to discern His will. It means being in the world, but not of the world. It means being set apart so we can faithfully and helpfully proclaim the good news. And it means doing it in this culture, at this moment. Today's Mother's Day and Friday morning, I told Sherry I was going to take her to the store, get her a Mother's Day gift. We had to go on Friday, but I was trying to maintain the surprise as much as I could. So I was being a little secretive. She didn't know any of the details. I told her I had to check to see what time the store opened, and we'd probably leave, you know, either at 9 or 10, depending on when the store opened. So she was in suspense and waiting. Okay, we're going to go out and get your Mother's Day gift. Pretty exciting stuff. When I, when I went outside to go get something out of the car, Zach Varnell pulled up, unexpected to me. I didn't know that was going to happen. He was bringing something to me. He's driving a very nice car, a Tesla. And uh, he and his buddy Josh Varnado were in the front seat. They rolled down the window and... I didn't realize there were people in the back, and I just said, what are you two losers driving a nice car like this for? <laughs> just then, Sherry came around the corner to join me, to go to the store. She sees Zach driving a Tesla. She's going to get her surprise Mother's Day gift, so she just Looks deadpan, totally believable. So this is my Mother's Day gift. <laughs> and so we all laughed, and I hopped in the car to take her to the store, and I was like, hey, you know what? That was really funny. You, that was a really good joke. And I mean, you were really believable. I mean, I saw your face. Well, uh, just for a minute there, I thought that was my Mother's Day gift. <laughs> So she's not excited about the one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> the point. There is a point. <laughs> Timing is everything. Timing is everything. It was perfect timing. CCK has occurred for this moment. It's perfect timing. This is God's timing. This is our culture. This is our country. This is our society. These are our neighbors. This is our mission. It's no accident. It's perfect timing. And timing is everything. You want to know what your mission is? Look where you live 
Look at the culture you live in. It's a wonderful time to be the church of Jesus Christ. Don't complain. Don't criticize. Look at verse 19. Paul says, here's here's the will of God. Here's what pleases the Lord. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing. Make melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Engage the culture for His glory alone. Father, I pray for this church. Lord, give us opportunities to shine the light of Your Gospel for Your glory. Father, help us. It is complex. It is tricky. It is difficult to get this right. I don't think we've always got it right, Lord. And we are crying out to You. We thank You. We anticipate You're eager to help us. And our prayer is for Your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.